Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It said, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Amen. Thank you, Elizabeth. Keep your finger there. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But I want to just give a quick description as to what City Lead is and then go and talk about that passage, which is an incredible passage that some of us know one or two of the verses in it, but maybe not the context in it. About nine years ago, we came together, a group, small group of business people in our church. There were about 25 of us together and said, what could we do to reach out into our city that's outside the walls of our city? And we came up with a very simple idea, and that idea was that each of those 25 people would invite one person from their business influence. It could be a partner, a colleague, a team member, a competitor, a vendor, a customer, whoever it might be, and bring them to church on a Thursday, and I would do a talk. And so as we started that, a couple of the people, the men and women in the room said, what if I brought more than one person? And then one said, what if I filled a table of people? And that began the genesis of what was called Boca Lead back then, but now we call it City Lead because it's in many cities, so it's called City Lead Boca because we have other city leads around the country. And we began to do it. I think our first one, we had about 100 people at it. And last Thursday, four days ago, we had over 300 people at it. And we've had over 7,000 people attend many multiple times, some just one time. So what do we do? It's a lunch just an hour long on the first Thursday or the second Thursday, depending on scheduling of the month across the street in our dining room. And there we have a sense of community. We bring people together and then I do a talk on leadership. That is what drives people to come, causes people to come because all business people of all types need more leader development. And so it's the enticement as I describe it sometimes as a soccer ball. Like when you throw a soccer ball out to kids, 
kids just come together and start kicking it around, right? When you throw leader development to business people, they come around. Because whether you're an entrepreneur, a single mother, or a head of a big company, or a school teacher, or the head of a university, all of them come. Or if I could even say civic people, the head of a county, the head of a, a city, they come as well because they want to learn leadership principles. But while we're there, we do other things as well. So what is it that we do? I'll just give you a couple things. One is, of course, we bring the community together. One of the things that is a misnomer, it's, it's a non-truth, is that we call the business people a business community. Business people are not a community. They all are interested in their own thing. There may be some associational or some rotary type things that come together, but the business community at large does not come together very often. There's a chamber of commerce and there's other things, but we bring them together in a neutral setting. Now what's interesting is it's not that neutral because it's in a church. It's an amazing thing that people will come to church to hear what Jesus has to say about leader development. They won't come necessarily to hear what Jesus has to say about their marriage, their life, their future, their destiny yet but they will start with that. It's a beautiful thing. And so we invite them to come, they come, they hear the talk, and there is a connection. Let me give you something that happens as well. So one of my friends who's sitting here near where we sit um, was invited um, and sitting at a table of all non-Christians. About two-thirds of the people that attend are not followers of Jesus Christ. So it's not a Christian event. It's a community event put on by followers of Christ. So afterwards, after I do my talk, Cameron comes up and says, let's have a discussion. And, what, and this week's discussion was pretty simple. What did you learn today? What's that one thing? And I was talking about the chaos in terms of business, the chaos that came out of COVID and you know, being in-person versus remote. And I did all that, not important today, but we were sitting there and there was an empty seat. So I thought I'll sit down and participate in a group. And so I was there and these non-followers of Christ are giving examples of what I said. It was great. And then the follower of Christ at the table started talking about her faith and how her faith got her through the crisis and the chaos of COVID in her business. And she described it. And I thought, this is what it's about. It's about people of faith, followers of Jesus Christ, sharing with their friends and their colleagues the importance of Jesus Christ and you can do it in a business setting. There are people, and when I say business, there are educators there, there are doctors there, there are workers there, there are service people, providers, there are professionals. It's the whole gamut of it, and they come, and so you go, why would they come to a church? And this is important. We don't have it at the hotel conference room or a convention center or a neutral place. We put it at church because we want people to see that we, as followers of Christ, are for our city. We are for our city. It's interesting, uh, two years ago, the Chamber of Commerce gave City Lead and myself Business Person of the Year. And you go, why would a pastor become Business Person of the Year? Because they know we are for the city. We love this city. We're for this city. And we, as followers of Christ, are always known for what we don't like. I get that. There's a lot of things I don't like, but we need to be known what we do like. 
and we need to support. We need to be, if I can use the word, raving fans or cheerleaders of our communities as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I say this at City Lead, which I, I'm going to tell you today, but you don't have to take me serious here because you'll get mad at me. But if you don't like Boca Raton, leave. <laughs> because we do not need followers of Jesus Christ complaining. We need followers of Jesus Christ promoting. And, okay, I'd never have said that before, and someone's going to get mad at me, and go ahead and get mad at me. People come to me, I can't raise my kids here. Well, I'm sorry, I was raised here. My kids have been raised here. My grandkids are being raised here. You can raise your kids here. Or you can complain all day and be sour about it. And they go, she's a Christian. And go, I don't want to be that. Go find a place you love and live there and follow Jesus there and be a promoter of that. If you can't promote this city or Broward or West Palm or wherever you actually live, promote it. And wherever you live online, Promote that city. People need to see that we are for something. They know we are against things. Let us be for something. And I tell you what, the amazing conversations, the people that come to Jesus because they see that we're for the city, before they're interested in knowing we're for their eternal security or we're for their life or we're for their marriage, they get to know that because they know we're for them and the city. I hope that makes sense. And again, if you're offended, so be it on that one. <laughs> but here's the thing. We want people that are going to go out there and do something. Now, who comes to City Lead? This is important. We have civic people come, mayors come, police chiefs come, police officers come, community developers come. We also have nonprofits, the charity side, both Christian and non-Christian nonprofits. It's a beautiful thing. We have a gentleman that runs a nonprofit who's a member of our church the other day, he filled his table. He said, I'm out of seats. So he couldn't even sit at his table. He had to sit at another table. He said, can I get a seat somewhere else? And we said, of course, bring as many as you can. So we have um, civic people. We have charity people. Of course, we have business people as well. And we have church people. You put all them together. And I want the church people to be the influencers. Everywhere else, the other people are influencers. I want us to be the influencers. And that's what City Lead is about. And so why do we do it? What is the, the platform? Because we create this platform of discussion. So I don't know if you've been here a long time. One of the reasons you could say you don't like Boca Raton is because there's bad ethics in business in this town. How many of you have had a contractor take off with their deposit when you're getting your roof fixed? I have people after people after people tell me this. For those of you that are familiar with the large scandals in business in the world, uh, Scott Paper with Al Dunlop, uh, Kozlowski with Tyco, Scott Sullivan with MCI WorldCom, over the and Bernie Madoff, who had a property here in Boca Raton. We are known for bad ethics in business, from the smallest contractor to international companies. So eight years ago, we said, let's change the view of business in Boca Raton. Let's raise the bar of ethics in business in Boca Raton. And that's what, and I believe, and the chamber has said that the bar, no, not everybody's perfect. Yes, people still do bad things here, but you're not seeing what you saw 10 and 15 years ago in the business community in terms of bad ethics. Because people realize that character and ethics in business is important. 
both as believers and non-believers. And so here's what we do. We don't tell other cities that do city lead to have um, ethics as their platform. So in Kalamazoo, Michigan, our first city outside of Florida in the United States, they had an issue of racial, racial issues. The only time the African-American and the Anglo communities came together was at a shooting, a riot, or when something happened somewhere else in the country that was negative. And then they would come together and there would be all kinds of fireworks, obviously. And so an African-American pastor and an Anglo pastor got together. I knew them. They came down here and they said, we want to start City Lead and do it in both churches, alternate churches each month. Have the white folk come to the African-American, have the African-American folk come to the white church, and it be integrated totally and this is interesting, they've been doing it for a year. I was up there a few months ago, and uh, they do it with our videos and all. I was up there a few months ago, and the city manager came to me, the city manager of Kalamazoo came to me and said, this is the first time we've had all our communities come together for something positive and our city is changing. That's six, seven months into it. Because two churches got together. Instead of saying, let's do two different, let's do an African-American version of this, let's do an Anglo version, they said, let's do it together. You see, Jesus Christ can make a difference. He makes a difference here. I tell you, when those guys sang that song, amen, amen, I'm like, I'm in heaven at that point in time. But let me tell you, there are things happening outside this church as well that are good. And we need to be a part of it. So Why? 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 Let's turn to Jeremiah 29. And let me just make a comment. You hear in missions a lot about unreached people groups. We'll talk about that next week when we talk about missions. Unreached people groups. Can I tell you business people are an unreached people group? They're an unreached people group. Business people, the educators, the doctors, medical service providers. It's an unreached open area. And what's amazing is you are all in it. And I am in it. We have an opportunity. We are embedded into it. And we can stand aside and complain, or we can go into it and deal with it. And this is the issue that was happening in Jeremiah 29. The year is about 600 BC. That's before Christ. Just a few years before, about 15 years before, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, came down and started raiding Israel, Judea. The northern kingdom had already been sent away with Sennacherib, and the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is was still standing strong, and Babylon was coming in. This is about 615 BC, and he started cherry-picking the smartest people there were. Nowadays, we give them scholarships and they go to our cities. Back then, they actually had to kidnap people. And so he kidnaps Daniel. He kidnaps Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and takes them back to Babylon, 1,680 miles away. And they become a part of his court, a part of his leadership team. Well, 15 years later, actually a little more than that, maybe 25 years later, Babylon comes down again and takes the whole country captive and takes them back to Babylon. That's 1,600 miles. Think about it. You can go about 16 miles a day. That's 100 days. That's three and a half months. 
that tens of thousands of people are walking somewhat north and northeast to the city of Babylon. They get to the city of Babylon and they develop tent, a tent city, like a refugee area, right? There's a tent city outside of Babylon. So they basically created a shadow city outside the main city of Babylon. There they were. And God spoke to Jeremiah and, and Jeremiah wrote it down and sent a letter. Jeremiah was still in Jerusalem at this point in time with a very small remnant. It was destroyed. And he sends the letter, and this is what the letter says. Jeremiah 29, thus says the Lord of hosts, verse four, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I sent into exile. Now, I just said uh, Nebuchadnezzar came down and exiled them and kidnapped them and sent the whole country north. But the reality is this, that God is in control and God sent them into exile. Nebuchadnezzar was the earthly ruse for this. This goes to a very simple point and a very important point. God uses bad people to do good things. God uses bad people there are bad things happening in our country, but we only get these snapshots right now. We're going, this country's going to hell in a handbasket and all the rest, right? And it kind of is. But I think God is at work in this country. And God is at work because God is at work with people like yourselves. But you have a choice. You can exile yourself into a tent city or you can go into the city and have an influence. What is the tenth city that we exile ourselves into? It's called church. We have a subculture of everything in our churches. We, we go to school in our churches. We go to Bible studies in our churches. We have sports in our churches. We have music in our churches. We raise our kids in our churches. We have fellowship in our churches. And that's all good and great. But please understand, there's another culture out there that needs our help. And God says, let's continue to read, verse five. He says, go and build houses and live in them. Stop living in your exiled tents. Go into the city. Now think about it. What city is he saying? He's not saying the city of Jerusalem or any of the other cities. He's basically saying the worst city that has ever been created. Babylon. Even today, we talk about Hollywood being Babylon, Las Vegas being Babylon. Why? We don't say Las Vegas is Boca Raton. We say Las Vegas is Babylon. It is known for its evil. And he's saying, go into that city and build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat the produce. That's the beginning of work. It's also plant gardens and sell and buy and create and become a business person and a family integrated into the worst city in the world. Why? Because if you do that, it won't be, stay the worst city in the world. That you will have an influence. Take wives, have sons, have daughters, Take your sons, give them into marriage to daughters that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Verse seven, and this is the key, but seek the welfare of the city. Seek the welfare of Babylon and pray for it because in its welfare, you shall find 
your welfare. Let us stop there just for a moment. In the welfare of Babylon, I will find my welfare. Can you believe that? In the welfare of Boca Raton, I will find my welfare. How does that work? There's a word that uh, it's not there, but it's, the connotation is there. It's called the common good. Do you realize when we improve our streets, I benefit and the non-believer? When we improve our schools, my kids benefit and the non-believer. When we have safer um, places to shop, I improve, they improve, right? When the common good goes up, all of us do well. That is the welfare he's talking about. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, and pray for it. Common good, pray for it is the greater good. We should be spiritually interested in our city. They should be spiritually interested in their city. Do you realize, commentators tell us, this is the only place in the entire Old Testament where it's told that you are to pray for your enemies. Only place. It's a thousand pages in that Old Testament, and there's only one time it says pray for your enemies, and it because they were enemies, they brought them, they kidnapped them, they're their enemies, they're the other side. It says, pray for them. And God will give you the welfare of theirs to you. Now it's interesting, one of your favorite verses, one of the verses that a lot of people quote is verse 11. Let's just go down to verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare. God wants to do for you what you should be doing for the city. That word welfare is the good, some translate it the peace, the welfare. It's an amazing thing. God wants to do welfare for you and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. It's an amazing thing. God is calling us to do the welfare of the city, and he is gonna do our welfare. And verse 12 is an amazing verse. It's a verse uh, of an answered prayer. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found. What a great promise that is, isn't it? And where will, you, where will God be found? When you're in the most nasty city in the world, Babylon, these people are now in the city of Babylon. You seek me, you will find me. They had originally thought the only place to seek him was in Jerusalem at the temple. Is the only place for us to seek God in the church today? Or are there other places that we can be the salt and light? Now, what's interesting is, as soon as you get to the New Testament, the very first sermon that Jesus gives, which we spent all summer to talk about, right? The Sermon on the Mount. He says, pray for your enemies. Doesn't say it anywhere in the Old Testament except for here, but the very opening sermon, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, he says, pray for your enemies. Pray for the people in the city. At that point in time, it was the Romans, not the Babylonians, but the same interest is at hand. This is so important. I believe that business people, and I use that in a real marketplace, education, medical, you have the ability to reach your own people. And you don't need to first bring them to church for me to reach them. 
The Bible says in Ephesians 4 that my job is to equip you to do your job. My job is not to do your job. And here's the, the reason why, because I can't go into your company. I can't go into your hospital. I can't go into your third grade classroom. I can't go into the administrator's office where you work. I can't go there. I might be able to visit for a few moments or have coffee with you there, but I can't go there. You're there, now think about it, 47 hours a week times 47 weeks a year times 47 years of your work life. That's 103,000 hours. And most people never share Christ in that setting. Can you think about it? 103,000 hours that you ignore Christ. I think that's unconscionable. And I'm not here to point the finger. I already pointed the finger about hating Boca. I'm not gonna point the finger, but here's the encouraging word. We sometimes help you, we up here help you how to live your life from six o'clock in the evening to seven o'clock in the morning how to have a good marriage, how to raise your kids, how to volunteer on the weekend, how to come in church on Sunday, how to tithe. We, we're good at all this. But we're not telling you how to live from eight o'clock in the morning to five o'clock in the afternoon, where you're spending 103,000 hours. I want this church to be caring for you during that time. I pray for you. When I pray for you, I don't just pray, and I pray for a lot of you by name. If I know you, Elizabeth and I are praying for you at some point in time during the week. I don't just pray for your family, your kids, etc. but I also pray, pray for where you work, that your influence will be heard, and you have a great opportunity. So here's what we have. We have 1,000 pastors in this church. We're not paying the 1,000 pastors but every one of you have been called by God to do something, right? Now, let's look at one last verse. Can we do it? We got stuck in the middle. I'm going to page one. Can you make it to page one? That's Genesis chapter one. Like way, way over at the beginning. My pages are all crimped on page one. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Earlier this week, we had a call with our world lead team around the world, and uh, one of uh, the members shared a devotional. And then um, a little later on Thursday, I was at another talk with someone, a believer, who runs a university out in California, and she said the same exact thing. I thought, God, you're trying to teach me here something, and I'm going to share it today. 26, chapter 1 of Genesis. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over living things that move on earth. Five things are in this verse, these three verses. Can I give them to you? Number one, we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. Now this is important to understand because Moses wrote this, I believe. So when Moses was around, 
The leaders, it was not Babylon, it was Egypt at the time, and Egypt had pharaohs, not kings. Remember, and you know what the pharaohs were? They were the gods. A pharaoh was a god. They, they prayed to him or her, and these pharaohs and their children, they were demagogues and gods and all the rest. And here, God tells Moses to write down that we are all made in the image of God. See, Pharaoh is not the only one made in the image of God. Every single person is made in the image of God. And what Moses did, what God did through Moses, was, if I can use this word in a good way, stripped away the divinity of Pharaohs and said, we are all made in the image of God. In other words, the lowliest worker to the highest king is all made in the image of God. My friend, you are made in the image of God. And it doesn't stop there. He, and I'm not going to go into this, but he talks about male and female, gender. I'm not doing a talk on gender today, but let me just tell you, there's two genders. There's male and there's female. This talk is not about that. I've done it in the past. I'm sure I'll do it again. But it's right there. It's on page one of the Bible. The Bible is not... Um, silent about gender. You don't have to find it in Jeremiah, like the, the passage I gave you. It's on page one. Before you turn the page, it's there. Number three, and this is something I'm not going to talk about either, but I do a lot, and that is marriage. A man and a woman come together in marriage. He uh, solidifies it in chapter two, where a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage is a man and a woman. And again, I'm not speaking on that today. Don't get mad at me. I'm just reading the book. If you want to get mad, get mad at God in the book. I believe the book, so I'm going to read the book. And I believe marriage in marriage, and I believe marriage is a man and a woman. And I believe there are men and there are women. But that's not what we're talking about. But it's there. <laughs> Fourthly, it's about family. Be fruitful and multiply. It's family. So you got, you're made in the image of God. There's this sense that, of relationship to God. There's genders, there's men and women, and there's roles for men and women. There's marriage, there's family. But the last thing is, which takes me to my point, is work. Some people think work is a part of the fall, and when we get to heaven, there'll be no work. I'm sorry, but work is pre-fall, and there will be work in heaven, we are going to run the new heaven and the new earth. You might be the head of a star somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> you might be cleaning the gold streets. I don't know. But there is work in heaven because work is before the fall. And we should celebrate work, especially since it's the most you will do. You're going to work 103,000 hours in your life. Most of you work more than 47 hours and more than 47 weeks and more than 47 years. You could be working 120,000 hours. God is interested in what you do at work. Please understand it. And he was interested from page one. Now, there's a problem though. So let me give you three words. And if you forget everything I just said, it's not important that you understand city lead. None of that's important. That's what we do. We're excited that you are interested in it. If you want to know more, you can go to the back and they'll share more. But here's the three things that I want you to take away. 
First of all, our identity, write the word identity, is in God. Through his son, Jesus Christ, that is our identity. We all have the same identity. We were born in the image of God. That image was broken when we sinned. Christ came to save us and to pay for that sin so that we could have relationship back to God. Our identity is with God. Number two, our purpose is to be God's representative on earth. Fill the earth, subdue the earth, have dominion over the earth, work the earth. Different translations use different things. But every one of us has a purpose on this earth based on our identity in Christ, through God, in God through Christ. But the third thing is this, role, R-O-L-E. Our roles, you could use the word calling, role is just a real simple, generic word. Every one of us has a different role. You do this, you do that. You have talent in this, you're gifted in that. The giftings over here are different than my giftings and vice versa. None of them are more important than others. They're just different. Our roles are to fulfill the purpose God has put us here on earth because of our identity in him. Now, here's the problem. The problem is this, is that we confuse our role with our identity. And we think, because I work at such and such, that's my identity. I'm a teacher. That's my identity. I'm a business person. That's my identity. I'm a Physician, that's my identity. I'm an engineer, an architect, whatever you may say. And we say, that's our identity. No, that's our role. For those of you who have retired out of your current roles, your purpose and your identity in this world is still the same. You have a purpose in this world. Your role has changed, and maybe you're not working nine to five at that job you worked for 47 years at, but your purpose is the same, and you are the representative of God on this earth. And that does not change until the day you go see God, when you're absent from the body and present with the Lord. And we confuse and go, no, I don't have my role. Well, that's okay. Roles change, roles stop, roles start. You lose the job, your role has changed. I changed my job 15 or 17 years ago from being a realtor to a pastor. My identity never changed, my purpose never changed. My role changed. Do you see that? Every one of you has an identity in God and we need to renew that through faith in Jesus Christ. Your purpose is to be his representative on this earth. He has left us on this earth to work this earth and not just to till the soil, as the scripture says, but also to till the soils of souls. Our job is to be out there helping people. Also be in here and helping people as well, but also out there. And the role in which you do it is based on your specific gift sets. And everyone is different. Do you see that? So what we do at City Lead is a church, we start with identity, purpose, role. At City Lead, we start with role, purpose to get to identity. We want people to know their roles better, their callings better, so that they can understand what the purpose is that they're here on earth, so that they can understand the creator of the world. 
It's just a different way of doing it. You come here because you want to immediately engage with the creator of the world and know your identity. There are a lot of people out there that could care less about that. They don't even know they should care about it. And so we start with role to purpose to identity. And that's what City Lead is about. Our time is up. My question to you is, do you understand your identity? Do you understand your purpose? And we will help you understand your role. At the end of every City Lead, I tell a story to try to bring people from the role to the identity. Can I close with one now? A couple years ago, my daughter Jackie, I'm gonna do the one I did the other day, so if you were there, you heard it, the few of you that were there. A couple years ago, my daughter Jackie had a, a horrendous accident in her car. A guy T-boned her, and like, really bad. She ended up in the hospital, operations, but she was fine. But we didn't know anything about this. It was 11 o'clock at night. My phone rang, and it was, uh, the caller ID was West Virginia. So I thought, why is somebody spamming me at 11 o'clock at night? So I pushed the off button. A second or two later, another one came from Virginia. A second or two later, one came from Maryland. I thought, wow, these people are out in droves tonight. <laughs> and then Jackie came up, and there was a man's voice. And he said, your daughter's been in an accident. I said, where? He told me where. I got in the car and got there as fast as I could, and I beat the police. Turns out the guy that T-boned her, teen boned her into a building of a halfway house. So all these guys are from up north, right? And they're all helping, and they're amazing. They're probably, you know, they're former medics and others, you know, that just had a bad experience and are trying to get their lives right, and they're all there helping. It was wonderful. And then, of course, when the police came, they all left. You know, they don't want to, you know, be with the police. So it was the police, and then the medics came, and we got her there. She was fine. I mean, all things considered. Seat belts, the airbags, all the rest. So after it was all over, weeks later, I said, Jackie, what did you learn about all this? I'm big in learning. You know, what did you learn from being in an almost fatal crash? And she said, Dad... I realized when you weren't answering the phone, even in her foggy thing, she said, I realized you weren't answering the phone because you didn't know the number. So I told the guy who had my phone, I handed it to him, I said, scroll down to dad and press the button and you'll get my father. And the guy looked at her and said, will he know who you are? She said, yes. She said, that's the biggest takeaway for me from this accident, that most people don't know their father, at least in that halfway house. Can I tell you, we can know our father. That's our identity. Our identity is in the King of King and Lord of Lords, the creator of this world, Jesus Christ, and his Father, God the Father. And you can know him. You can know him like my daughter knows me. And when she called, I ran to her. And our Father, when we call, 
he will answer us, Jeremiah 29 says. Do you believe it? Amen. Let's pray together.